Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the assignment for March 23rd through 29th, Enos and the Words of Mormon. He works in me to do his will. And this week's episode is all about prayer and specifically prayer where we are talking to our Heavenly Father and we are in a solitude, a solitary type place, a sacred grove, if you will. And Enos finds himself in a sacred grove and having an experience with his Heavenly Father. And it reminded me a whole lot of, you know, Joseph Smith and the first vision. And that's on my mind a lot because we're getting ready for conference. And, you know, we've been told by our prophet, Russell M. Nelson, to prepare to know more about the restoration and about the first vision and to prepare for this upcoming conference because it's going to be the 200-year mark of the first vision. So I've been preparing for that, learning more about the restoration. So that's been on my mind a lot. And then I go in this week and I start reading this week's assignment and I see Enos when he's in the jungle or I guess I think of it as a jungle, but really, you know, living in America, I know there's like not jungles really. It's it's a forest. So he's in the forest, he's hunting animals, and he has kind of a similar moment as um, Joseph Smith did. So there are some similarities there. And I've just been thinking a lot about our relationship to our Heavenly Father, how we use prayer to approach our Heavenly Father. And when we do approach our Heavenly Father in prayer, how do we ask for things? And what kind of communication do we have? And those are all questions that I've kind of been asking myself a lot this week. But first, let's go ahead and start with Come Follow Me. All right, so we have a really good introduction to Come Follow Me. It talks a little bit about Enos and he's walking, you know, through the forest and everything like that. And it says, that's what sincere prayer is. Not so much asking for anything we want, but a sincere effort to communicate with God and align our will to His. When you pray in this way, when your voice has reached the heavens, you discover, as Enos did, that God hears you. He truly cares about you, your loved ones, and even your enemies. In those moments, God can make his will known to you, and you will be more willing and able to do his will because you are in harmony with him. I love that idea of prayer is putting our will with God's, and that's something I really tried to think about multiple times this past week as, you know, I've gone through the reading and was just thinking about prayer in general, that really when we pray, it's not just an endless list of like, oh, Heavenly Father, these are the things I need. Check, 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 check. These are things I'm grateful for. Check, 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 check. It's really about aligning our will to his. And what does he want for us in this moment? And um, that's kind of something I've been thinking about, but we're going to talk more about it in a little bit. First off, the first section in Come Follow Me says a parent's words can have a lasting influence. And we actually see that in Enos's words. You know, Enos was the son of Jacob. So he was Enos Jacobson, we could say. And in Enos 1.1, it says, 
Behold, it came to pass that I, Enos, knowing my father that he was a just man, for he taught me in his language, and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and blessed be the name of my God for it. So he's talking about his father and the way that he was raised by his father. And it's interesting to me, I think, as we raise our children, especially when it comes to the church or, you know, just good behavior and things like that in general, we can talk to them all day long about it. We can do come follow me all day long with them about the church and everything like that. And that's going to do good. But better is when we talk about it and we live it. You know, you could take your kid to a swimming pool and you could explain to them all day long about all the theory behind swimming and all the different ways you can swim and all the different you know swimming strokes you can do. But until you actually like get into the pool and show them how, what swimming looks like, they're not going to get it, right? And so it's kind of the same way with the gospel. We can sit there all day long and tell our kids, hey, this is what living the gospel is, and this is what living the gospel looks like. But until they see us living it, they're not going to get it. And from Enos's example here, we can see that not only was he taught what the gospel was, but that he saw it because he saw it in his father, Jacob. And Jacob lived the gospel so faithfully that it made an impression on Enos that when he's out in the middle of this forest hunting and he starts thinking about these questions and pondering these things, his first instinct is to hit his knees and pray. And, you know, what a powerful example that was for his son that Jacob has set. Um, I started thinking about my own parents and my mom specifically. She was such a good example to me of this. I remember, I can't even count the number of times where as a child, I'd come careening around the corner in our house trying to find her and she'd be like in her room on her knees by her bed praying. And I would see her just, you know, there with her hands clasped, just, you know, her mouth moving. And I knew she was talking to Heavenly Father. And I saw that so many times growing up that it's one of those things that whenever something goes wrong or wherever I'm really worried about something or feeling anxious about something, it's my first instinct is to pray because of the example that she set for me. And so that's a similar example I'm trying to set for my son, that when I'm anxious or when he's anxious or worried or upset about something that we pray. That's, you know, our first line of defense is prayer and talking to our Heavenly Father. And in that moment of anxiety and in that moment of worry, turning our will to Heavenly Father's. You know, Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do in this situation? And I think that's one of the best things that prayer can do for us. Okay, so that was a really brief section in Come Follow Me. It was like literally like what messages do these verses have for parents and for children? And that's kind of what I thought it did. The next section is a little bit more lengthy. I've got a little bit more that I want to talk about it. And it says, my heartfelt prayers will be answered. And it talks about Enos's prayerful experience. So let's talk a little bit about it. So he's walking through the woods and he's kind of like, I guess, hunting or whatever. And we see in Enos chapter one, verse three, behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. So again, we have where Enos had heard the words of his father, but he'd also seen his father's example. And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my maker. And I cried out to him in mighty prayer and supplication for my own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him. Yet when the night came, I still did raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. So I want to pause there. One of the things that has really amazed me is I've gone back and I've looked at like different versions of prayers throughout, you know, scripture times and centuries and stuff like that, is the verbs that get used when we talk about prayer. 
And in one of the verses here in Enos that we haven't read yet, it's verse two. I saved it because I want to talk about it here. But in verse two, it says, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God, before I received a remission of my sins. Enos is literally equating prayer to wrestling. Like he says, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God. Now he's not wrestling God. It's not saying I will not tell, I will tell you of the wrestle what I had with God. No, that's not what he's saying. The wrestle which I had before God, which is interesting to me. So to me, if prayer is aligning our wills to God's, then would this prayer of Enos's be aligning the wrestling of his will to becoming in alignment with God? You know, like I was like, who is he wrestling? Because wrestling is not just like a one person thing. It takes two to tango when it comes to wrestling. And I think he was literally wrestling his own will to become the will of God. And God's watching this. It's, you know, the wrestle before God. So that was really interesting to me. Some other times that I saw throughout the scriptures where prayers had different verbiage, I guess, or verbs in it where they talk about praying that were interesting to me was, of course, you know, we're talking again about Joseph Smith in the sacred grove. In his testimony in the Joseph Smith History 1, in verse 16, it says, I exerted all my powers to call upon God. And so he's exerting all his powers. So do you see the feeling and the emotion and just the physical reaching that he's doing to find God? And specifically, this is so interesting to me because this is his first attempt at praying vocally. If we back on up into Joseph Smith History 1, 14, it says, you know, so in accordance with this, my determination to ask of God, I retired to the woods to make the attempt. So like Enos, he's in the woods. It was on the morning of a beautiful, clear day, early in the spring of 1820. It was the first time in my life that I had ever made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. That was so interesting to me that Joseph Smith was so anxious about praying out loud that he had some serious anxiety about this. And for him to overcome that anxiety, to go out into this quiet space and to kneel down and to connect with his heavenly father and specifically exerting all my powers to call upon God, right? And just at that moment is when heavenly father appears, You know, that's really pretty cool that he had to overcome that anxiety and then use his, you know, I guess that exertion to call upon God. I really like that example. Another example that I saw of prayer, you know, as a verb is Hannah. Now, Hannah is not a name that like you would automatically associate with, um, you know, Joseph Smith and Enos praying in like the forest or whatever. But Hannah is an example to me of another person who used prayer as a verb. And, you know, Hannah, her story is in 1 Samuel. Hannah was struggling with infertility. And there were some situations going on that made her particularly very sensitive about it at this time that made her feel really badly about it. And so where did Hannah go? Well, you know, Enos and Joseph Smith found a private place out in the woods, and that's where they went. Hannah went to the source of comfort that she felt most comfortable praying in, and that was the temple at the time. And so if we read in 1 Samuel 1, 9... And so Hannah rose up after they had eaten and after they had drunk, and Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. 
And Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord. And all the days of his life there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Basically, he saw her mouth moving, right? Well, saw her lips moving. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, but only her lips moved, for her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Okay, there's that verb that I love. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. You know, have you ever had a prayer where you feel like you're literally pouring out your soul to the Lord? You know, you just got all this anxiety or, or animosity or whatever negative emotion that you've got like pent up inside and you just kind of like bleh, like <laughs> lay it all out there in prayer before the Lord. Okay, I feel like that's what Hannah was doing, right? And in 16, she says, count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Basically, like I'm not drinking like they do for the pagan gods. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. So, you know, of course we know that the Lord answered her prayer. And she was then the mother of Samuel. She was given that um, gift of being the mother of Samuel. So I think, you know, it's just the pouring out is really what gets to me in that, that prayer. Because there have been times where I've been so distressed or so dismayed at something, and I literally feel like I'm pouring out. So we have Joseph Smith, who is calling with exhortation upon the Lord. We have Enos, who's wrestling before God. And we have Hannah, who's pouring out. I love those examples of prayer, because I feel like when you are that intensely, I guess, engrossed in your prayer, that you mean it. Right? How many times do we sit there, you know, before dinner time, bless that food, keep us strong and healthy? Like, I don't feel that's a pouring out. I don't feel that's a wrestling. I don't feel like that's an exerting. You know, I am like, that's a recitation. That's what that is. You're, you're reciting. And so, you know, I worry about that. Like, do I get to the point where my prayers become recitations instead of a wrestling or an exertion or a pouring out? You know, and to me, that kind of like reading it this week, Enos reminded me that I needed to be more and more mindful of my prayers, more, I guess, in my prayers, in that moment of that prayer and not wondering about what I'm going to do tomorrow when I need to be talking to my heavenly father. You know, we have the ability to talk to the most powerful being in the entire universe. And I find myself, y'all know, no joke. I posted this to social media this week that sometimes I have prayer ADD where I'm talking to God and I'm kind of wandering off and then I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, Lord, where was I? I'm like, Lexi, you are literally talking to the most powerful being in the universe and you are like wandering off topic. Like what? What? No, Lexi, you need to take this much more seriously. And so that's the lesson that I really got out of this chapter and this, the reading this week was that I need to take my prayers much more seriously. And I found somebody who taught me a lot about how to take prayer seriously. And this is, again, this is going to wrap into the Joseph Smith, Sacred Grove stuff that we're, we are studying currently. So there's a song that has come out recently. 
beautiful, beautiful song. It's called My Own Sacred Grove, and it's by Angie Killian. She's the songwriter. And I love this song. Like the first time I heard it a couple months ago, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. And so I'm in the stake primary presidency. And so we discussed as a primary presidency, hey, wouldn't it be cool if like we could get a children's primary choir together for stake conference in our stake and like they could sing this song at conference. And there's all kinds of stuff like, oh, you know, this person won't want to do that. And, you know, the stake presidency will never let that happen. And no, 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 no. Well, one by one, those, you know, things that were in our way, the opposition just kind of like lifted the stake presidency was like, sure, we love the song. Let's do it. And then, you know, our state choir director was like, I've been thinking about doing this for a long time. Let's do it. And we were like, well, how are we going to teach all the kids? Well, we just had a state primary activity that was all based on the restoration. And we were like, well, let's teach it to them then. And so we taught them this song, um, My Own Sacred Grove. And it's an absolutely beautiful song. And y'all, I just have to tell you, like we, they went through a couple different workshops where they learned the words to the song and they did some other stuff with the restoration in these workshops. But at the end, we gathered them all together to practice the song all together before, you know, we have state conference. And the spirit that was there as they were singing this chorus was so beautiful. And I really hope that these kids understand the words that they are singing, that we can find our own sacred grove no matter where we are. We just have to find a place that's away from the noise of the world. And the song just is so gorgeous. So I'm going to let you listen to it in a second. But first, I was, you know, a little concerned about copyright. I'm like, of course, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I worry about copyright and everything. So I was like, I need to get permission to put this on the podcast, you know, before I put it out there. So I wrote to Angie Killian and I was like, hey, um, I really love your song. It's amazing. And can I play it on my podcast? And she wrote back and she was like, sure, you can totally play it on the podcast. And do you want to know a little bit more about like where the song came from and stuff? And I was like, yes. And so we talked back and forth and we never really got to the point where we could actually record an interview. You know, she's in Utah, I'm in Alabama. So we didn't have the technology kind of worked out between us so that we could actually record an interview, but she sent me some answers to some questions I had for her. But first, I'm going to let you hear the song and then we're going to do an interview with Angie Killian, the author of this song, My Own Sacred Grove. Here it is. Smith went to a grove full of trees Seeking God's wisdom he fell to his knees As he pled with the heavens the sky filled with light And the Father appeared with his Son Jesus Christ Standing above in the air Coming to answer his prayer I will find my own sacred grove Holy Ghost answers will come 
Heavenly Father is there, ready to answer my prayer. I will find my own sacred grove, away from all of the noise of the world. I will turn to Revelation will come my way as I wait patiently in faith. I will find my so beautiful. And wasn't it an amazing message? I just, I just really love that song so much. Okay. So let's talk about this interview that I did with Angie. Cause, um, she's really kind of an amazing person. I'm kind of, I kind of love her. All right. So the first question I asked her was, I was like, please introduce yourself. Okay. So she says, my husband and I met when we were 15 and 16 years old. We were married in 2008 and we now have three adorable children and two unruly dogs. Oh, girl, I feel you on that one. I have an unruly dog. I have an unruly cat, but also a dog. I grew up in Elk Ridge, Utah, and we currently call Springville, Utah home. Music has always been a big part of my life, but I don't have a formal music degree. In fact, I studied math at BYU until I realized I wasn't cut out for teaching junior high or high school. I left BYU to work with my husband while he finished nursing school, and I had babies before I could go back to finish. Someday, I would love to go back, but for now, I am extremely happy where I am, being at home with my children and my music, which to me, that sounds beautiful. Um, Being in a place with your kids and with music and something you love, I mean, that just sounds like a beautiful place. So um, Angie, I'm happy for you that you're there. All right. The next question I asked was, how did you get into songwriting? She says, I started writing music in 2016. At the time, I had a nearly three-year-old son and eight-month-old daughter and had lost myself in the monotony of motherhood. Between endless piles of laundry and dishes, I had no perceived identity beyond mama and milk, please. In addition, I was silently battling postpartum depression. I would play it off as exhaustion, and I'm sure nearly four years of uninterrupted sleep compounded my emotional state. But looking back, I can accurately state that I was in the middle of postpartum depression and was too proud or perhaps ashamed and afraid to call it what it was. And I think she's not alone in that, guys. I think there are many women who find themselves in the same spot. So very brave of you, Angie, to come out and name it like that. I think that's very brave of you. 
One night, in the early hours of the morning, I was rocking my baby girl back to sleep. She was and still is a horrendous sleeper and used to wake up to eat every two to three hours until she was weaned. On this particular night, as I was rocking her, a little tune came into my head that I paired with some simple words. It wasn't spectacular, but it brought me joy, fulfillment, and awakened a part of my soul that I had lost. I wrote another song, and then another, and then I prayed. I made a covenant with my Heavenly Father that if He would give me music, I would write it down and I would share it with the world. This was a big promise to make for someone so new to songwriting, but He has come in big on His end of the bargain, and I'm striving every day to fulfill the promise that I made. I asked her, did she feel like songwriting was her calling? Yes. Did the Lord need me specifically to write the songs I have written? Maybe, but I'm sure He could have called on another to bring life into these ideas. Perhaps he knew that I needed this outlet as much as the world needed this music. That was so poignant to me. Um, What a great point. You know, for those of us who, I think, you know, we have church callings, but I think we also have callings in life. We have callings to be friends. We have callings to be mothers or, you know, fathers. We have callings to be spouses. We have callings to be brothers and sisters. We have callings, you know, to bless the lives of others in various ways. Callings to be artists. Callings to be, you know, speakers or whatever it is that you do. Um, we have callings in our life and those talents in our life. And were we given those talents because we specifically were the most amazing thing and the most amazing person who could put these talents out there? Well, maybe, but I think most of the time, just like Angie says, we're given those talents and we're given those abilities and those opportunities because it gives us something as well. The Lord could use anybody to fill any of these voids that he needs. Um, And I just, I felt that when she said that, you know, even with this podcast, I made a very similar promise with my Heavenly Father that I would do this, but that he had to help me. And I think anyone could sit behind this microphone and, you know, do a podcast and honestly probably do a much better job than my hot mess. That is the Savior said, but I made a promise to him that I would do it. And what I get out of it is a much deeper understanding of my scriptures, but also my Savior and my relationship to my Heavenly Father and a much stronger testimony and testimony building experiences as I do the podcast. So yeah, anybody could do this, but I, he knows that I need this. And I felt that when Angie said that it was just, it just rang so true to me. So I'm grateful for her for that poignant thought. It really made me think a lot about that. All right. Going back into our interview. Can you tell me about the experience of writing my own sacred grove? That's the song that I'm like obsessed with, guys. All right. She says, in January of 2017, I felt like I needed to write a song called I Will Find My Own Sacred Grove. Having just finished a huge project that was both emotionally and financially taxing on my family, I filed the thought away and promised to come back to it at a better time. Little did I know, that little hook was making a home in my subconscious and forming itself into a song. By the next day, I could hear the words and the melody of the chorus. The following day, I could hear the harmonies and every note the piano would play. And that piano line is just gorgeous. I love that piano, Angie. It's so beautiful. By this point, I realized this song was not one to be ignored. And I sat down at the piano. I found the notes I was hearing in my head and finished writing and notating the entire song by the end of the week. When I typed my name next to the title, I almost felt guilty because so much of this song was given to me. I cannot take credit. I've had a lot of special experiences writing songs, but this process was truly unique. 
And then I asked her, how do you hope this song will help others accept our prophet's invitation to learn more about the restoration? She says, in early 2019, I made the connection that 2020 would mark 200 years since Joseph Smith's first vision. I felt strongly that this song would be a powerful tool to help primary children and families strengthen their testimonies of that sacred and historic event. We recorded this song and filmed the music video in July, and you can imagine my excitement when I heard President Nelson's announcement that 2020 would be a bicentennial year celebrating the Restoration. Aside from having a testimony of Jesus Christ's atonement and resurrection, having a testimony of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon is paramount for members of our LDS faith. I love that this song shares Joseph's story, but also that it encourages and instructs each of us to learn these truths for ourselves. It is so much more than a song about Joseph's experience in the sacred grove. It is a song that teaches about revelation in simple words that children can connect with and understand. All right. Yes. Like that is what I love about it. Um, You know, like I said, we just did this primary activity and in preparation for it, one of the things that I feel like really stood out to me is that when we talk about the first vision and we talk about these sacred grove experiences, that what comes to my mind is that Heavenly Father loves us and not just Heavenly Father loves like us as a people, but Heavenly Father loves you. And he knows you. He knows your favorite color. He knows what you like to eat. He knows your favorite day of the week. He knows, you know, the things that make you cry. He knows the things that make you laugh. He knows you. And we see that anytime that anyone goes to pray, Enos, for example, like sits down and he says, you know, Heavenly Father, I'm worried about my sins or whatever. And Heavenly Father answers him by name. We see here in Enos chapter one, verse five, and there came a voice unto me saying, Enos, Thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. We also see it when Joseph Smith goes into the sacred grove, and he kneels down, and he prays, and we hear hear him say, Joseph. And so he always addresses his child by his name, or her name, I guess, whenever we come unto him. And so I love that that's really what the restoration is about, is that he loves us, and he knows us, and he wants us to come back to him. So he gave us all the tools here in the restoration that we need to come back to him. You know, with Joseph Smith seeing the father and the son, he now has the truth of the restored gospel. And, you know, it would take a couple years for more pieces of that the puzzle and the truth and stuff to come along and for really the foundation of the restored gospel to really come to fruition. But we have all these different tools that bring us back to Heavenly Father. We have all the different covenants. We have the priesthood. We have the temple. We have all the different ways that we can return to our Heavenly Father because he loves us and because he knows us as individuals. When we talk about the restoration and, you know, in this primary activity today, this is what I wanted the kids to know. Number one, that their heavenly father and Jesus Christ loved them. Number two, that they know them individually. Number three, that they have given them the tools that they need to get back to them. And number four, that they can have similar experiences as what Joseph Smith and Enos and other people have had when they have knelt down and asked of heavenly father. They may not see Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. They probably won't, but they can still have revelation for their own lives and their lives can be blessed because of a relationship that they have with their Heavenly Father. And that's what I feel that this song, My Own Sacred Grove, is about. It's about having that connection and that relationship to Heavenly Father and finding those spaces in our lives where we can turn off the noise and we can focus on that individual relationship that we have with Heavenly Father where he calls us by name. I just really love that. I love what she says about that. 
And I also asked her, I was like, is there anything else you want to share? And she said, your sacred grove can be anywhere. My favorite places in the world for my sacred groves are Lake Powell, Fairview Canyon, Yosemite. And I would like to share that my sacred grove experiences have happened there. But in reality, my sacred grove is anywhere I can turn off the world and tune into revelation. My favorite places to receive revelation are in the shower, driving in my car, especially when the kids are asleep, and sitting at my piano. And I was like, that is so deep because I get lots of revelation in the car as well. So I feel you, girl. I feel you. Another thing she added on here that made me think a lot was that Joseph Smith and Enos, as we're talking about, were not the only ones to have sacred grove experiences. And some of the other examples she gave was Moses with the burning bush, the brother of Jared, where, you know, he sees the Lord's hands as he touches the stones to make them light up. Nephi has multiple experiences of sacred groves where he goes out into the mountains to the Lord. And mountaintops are also lots of sacred groves, too. We see them going to mountains all the time. Um, then we have Enos and Joseph Smith and even Jesus, you know, there in the Mount of Olives um, in Gethsemane. And then also he went up into the mountains multiple times as well just to be alone and be away from the noise and to find his Heavenly Father. So we can create those sacred grove moments in our lives as we find places to be away from the noise and the distractions of the world and to seek our father in prayer, whether it's in our car driving down the interstate and we've got a quiet moment while the kids are asleep, or if it's in, you know, out in the middle of the woods or at a beautiful state park or wherever you go, you can have a sacred grove experience, you know, where you have that connection and that individual relationship with your heavenly father. So I really love that. She said all that. So Angie, thank you so much for answering all my questions. Um, I'm grateful that we were able to have that conversation. And I'm sorry that I had to read it to you guys, but it just, it worked out better that way. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to her for doing that. So big thank you to Angie. Um, Go find the song, My Sacred Grove. It's really, really good. All right, let's get back to Come Follow Me. Sorry, guys. I know. Rabbit trails. I like the, <laughs> this podcast name needs to be The Savior Said, a constant rabbit trail down various topics that Lexi finds interesting that week because that's pretty much how this podcast rolls. Okay, so we're going back into Come Follow Me. So what did Enos initially pray for? So he initially started out praying for himself and for his sins that, that they would be forgiven for him. Um, and we can read that in Enos 1. And in five, it says, a voice came unto me saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie. Wherefore, my guilt was swept away. And I said, Lord, how is it done? And he said unto me, because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before seen nor heard, and many years pass away before he shall manifest himself into the flesh. Wherefore, go to thy faith hath made thee whole. Interesting to me when I read that, thy faith hath made thee whole. I was like, this is what Christ says when he's on the earth, right? I can't remember. And maybe there's some scriptorian out there that will, you know, (laughs) figure this out for me. But I can't remember another time where that is said in scripture before Christ comes to the earth. Um, Thy faith hath made thee whole. So um, it's a very Christ type, I guess, phrase. And so that really made me pause. Um, I just thought that was really beautiful. So he starts out praying for himself. After he receives a remission of his sins, after he's made whole because of his faith, right? Then in nine, it came to pass that when I'd heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, the Nephites. Wherefore, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. So after we take care of ourselves, after we, you know, pray to God about ourselves and whatever we've got going on in our lives and for forgiveness and things like that, repentance, 
then we turn our eyes to those around us, specifically in our close circle of contact, our family and our friends. What are they struggling with? What do they need? And that's what he turned his attention to is his brethren, the Nephites, right? And so he prays about them. And then after that, he hears again the voice of the Lord into his mind saying, I will visit thy brethren according to their diligence in keeping my commandments. I have given unto them this land, and it is a holy land, and I curse it not, save it be for the cause of iniquity. Wherefore, I will visit thy brethren according as I have said, and their transgressions will I bring down with sorrow upon their own heads. So what he's saying here is, Enos, yes, I will bless thy brethren as I can, but I will not take away their agency. They still have the ability to choose right and wrong, and when they choose wrong, like there are consequences to that. But when I can bless them, and when, you know, they do behave correctly, I will, you know? And so I'm like, okay, that's good, that's good. And then... After he's prayed for his friends and family, after he's prayed for himself, his mind turns to his enemies, the people who are hurting his friends and family and that have been such, such a trouble to this young little fledgling flock that Nephi has created out here in the wilderness. And he, his mind turns to them and he prays for them and he spends all day and all night praying to the Lord. I'm like, that is a marathon prayer session, Enos. Like, you've got this, buddy. And so it's interesting to me to see that progression of me friends and family, and then enemies in the outside world, kind of, I guess. I wouldn't even say enemies. I would say outside world is really kind of more how I feel like his, his mind was working. So prayer. Something that I have wondered a lot about prayer, something I struggle with about prayer for years now, I've really been wondering, and I, I think I got some different answers to this this week, but how do I ask for things in prayer? Because here's the thing, we're told to ask In James 1, 5, we're told, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. You know, that's not the only place where we're told to ask for things in prayer. We're told to ask for things in prayer all the time. You know, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ask and you receiveth. Like over and over again, we're told to ask for things. My question is, is, well, how do I know that I'm asking for the right thing? And I think a lot of times about the Martin Harris situation, which, you know, that fits in this week, too, because we're talking about words of Mormon and his abridgment and everything like that. But the Martin Harris situation where, you know, and I don't know all the particulars. I probably should go into church history and figure out all the particulars of this. But I feel like Joseph Smith went to the Lord and he asked him over and over and over again, can I give these pages to Martin Harris? Can I give these pages to Martin Harris? And was told no so many times. And so he kept coming back and asking. Finally, the Lord's like, sure, go ahead. But you know, this is going to end badly. And he did it anyway. And that's me paraphrasing. That is not church history. Y'all go look it up because I'm sure that there's much more details out there. Um, That's just, you know, Lexi's version of what happened. I think about that. And I worry a lot of times. I'm like, am I becoming like Martin Harris? Am I asking for the wrong things? And I worry about asking for the same things over and over again. You know, I want this thing to happen, but please let it happen. But how do I do that without not asking? You know, how do I ask but not ask in a way that's, you know, Martin Harris-y, I guess? And I think what I have finally come to understand is that when I ask the Lord for something, there are blessings that are conditional upon my asking for them. So I need to ask for blessings from the Lord. However, I do not need to demand things of him. And at least in my mind, that's how I'm separating it from asking to demanding. Another thing I found this week that as I pray, the first thing I say in my prayers is, Lord, 
align my will to yours. Like that's really what I have learned from the scriptures this week is that prayer is about aligning my will to his. And let me ask for the things that you want me to ask for. If you have blessings in store for me, let me ask for those blessings. And let me stay away from the things that you don't want me to ask for. The things that I would be asking for, you know, unfaithfully because they're not what you want, you know. And as I have prayed that, I've found in my prayers, you know, when I need to ask for something, I'll feel like a little push of like, yes, go, go ahead and ask for that. Or I'll feel like, uh, nah, there's also sometimes where it's either like a yes or a no. It's just kind of like, meh, okay, you can ask for that. That's cool. Um, you know, so it's, it's been an interesting experience doing that, but I feel like I'm closer to my heavenly father because when I feel those little pushes to yes, ask for that, I know that I'm following his will. And that that's the will that he wants for me. And it's helping kind of almost like Leah Hona, like guide my life. Like, okay, so he really wants me to be more patient and kind with the kids at school today. Okay, so I really need to focus on being patient and kind with the kids. He really, really wants me to focus on, you know, making a better relationship with my child. Okay, well, let's really focus on that, which is all kind of duh stuff anyways. Like, I should already know this. But like, it shows me the different areas of my life that I really need to focus on, I guess. Um, And that's what I mean when I say it's like a Leahona type thing, that as I come to him and I align my will with his, I find the different areas of my life that I need to focus on that day. And so it's kind of been an interesting experiment. And I think it's not going to be an experiment for me for longer. I'm just going to keep doing it. So no longer is an experiment. It's just going to be how I pray. And so I, I really like that a lot. All right. There are a couple other chapters that we had in our reading this week. Y'all can go in and read them. Jerem, Omni, and we have Omni and Words of Mormon, which explains the abridgment and, you know, going from the small plates to the large plates and that kind of thing. Y'all can go in and read all that. Um, what's interesting to me is about this week's reading is specifically like the books of Jerem and Omni, you know, going back to that like high councilman talk that we had or I sat in that sacrament meeting like a couple months ago where he said, you know, picture Mormon at the end of his life. He's got a library of journals and diaries that people along the ages have kept. And he's got to decide what is he going to put together into a book that will make its way into modern times. And, you know, what will the people in modern times, what will they need? And I wonder sometimes about Jeremy and Omni. I'm like, why were these included? Especially a lot of these like, um, so my dad gave me these plates and like I wrote in them and ditto to everything he said. And I pass them on to my son. Like there's multiple <laughs> ones of those. Like, okay. So let's say for instance, Omni one nine. Now I Chemish write what few things I write in the same book with my brother for behold, I saw the last, which he wrote and he wrote it with his own hand. And he wrote it in the day that he delivered them unto me. And after this matter, we keep the records for it is according to the commandments of our fathers. And I make an end. Like, why was that? like included in the Book of Mormon, I guess, by Mormon. And the only thing I can come up with is it shows the way, the importance that even we we read about like the wicked man. Let me see, who was the wicked man? Omni. Omni was the wicked man. Like there's a book in the Book of Mormon, Omni, that's named after a wicked man. We read that in verse two. And it says, behold, I of myself am a wicked man, but he has a book in the Book of Mormon named after him. Okay, I've not kept the statutes and the commandments of the Lord as I have ought to done. And so we even have him writing in here. So even to those who did not keep the commandments of God, they still kept the commandment to pass these plates down from father to son or brother to brother. And 
it's just it's just interesting to me, like why this was all included. And I guess it just shows the importance of these records. And that's really what I got from this was the importance of the scriptures, and especially as we get into the story of the people of Zarahemla and the Mulekites. And we see how their language had become so corrupted. And it was because they didn't have any written records, really, I think, is that why their language became so corrupted. And so they were able to translate it. And finally, they were able to communicate with each other. I don't know. It's just an interesting little section of the Book of Mormon, I think. Um, Jeremy and Omni are. And then we have Words of Mormon where he explains some of his editing techniques and why he edited it the way he did. And um, as a librarian and a book nerd, I appreciate his explanations. I like that. So anyways, we're going to wrap up this episode here. But thank you so much for listening. And guys, thank you for listening to me as I kind of just ramble about prayer and my thoughts on prayer and just, you know, how I feel about asking for things. And, you know, I've just been thinking a lot about prayer this week, as you can tell, in the sacred grove, and it's all been on my mind. So thank you for letting me voice that. Um, also, I'd like to give a special thank you to Angie Killian for her interview and her amazing insights and thoughts. Um, very deep. And also for her sharing her beautiful gift with the world. You know, that my own sacred grove just, it touches my heart so much. So I'm so grateful to her for that. So big thank you, Angie. And then I think we're going to end there. So y'all have an excellent week. Um, Keep praying. Keep praying to your father in heaven. He knows your name. He knows your favorite color. Love you guys. Bye y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.